Nidzianski, right? Nidzianski. Nidzianski. No. Good, good. Is that good? Nidzianski. That's perfect. Nidzianski. Perfect. <laughs> eh, I'll fumble. Now just say whatever happens. That's you're right. All good. That's right. Okay. You ready, buddy? I'm ready. Do I sound? <laughs> and let me just blow my nose. I've got a, <laughs> sure, sure, a sure. touch of a cold. Sure. Where do you live? I live in Toronto. Oh, okay. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, nice. I'm a, I'm a Canadian infiltrating your airwaves. Yeah, you are. But I actually grew up in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. Uh, you're about 40? Uh, yeah, I'm 44. That's a thought. Okay. And I'm beautiful. Uh. <laughs> I'm sculpted. Are you really? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm recording all this, by the way, Hal. <laughs> <laughs> Not too many forty-four-year-old uh, sculpted cultural commentators oh, sticking around. <laughs> Jesus, give me a break. Oh man! All we right. tend to be a uh, huh? fairly uh, not that athletic lot. <laughs> it's okay, man. Uh, all right, I think we're ready to go. Awesome. So, well, let's get this thing going. Nidzievsky. No, Nidzievsky. No. Perfect. N- yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, we'll do a one, two, three. Hey, good morning, folks. This is Greg Grasso with Chapter One. I've uh, I've got an author here, and I know I'm going to screw up, but hey, what the hell, you know? Um, the author's name is Hal Nidzievsky. Nidzievsky. I know I'm going to get it wrong. I'll have Hal uh, uh, correct me in a couple minutes here. But uh, there's a, there's a cool new book out. It's called Trees on Mars, and our obsession with the future. Uh, I've got Hal on the line. I'm going to uh, introduce him, say hello, and uh, ask him what this book is about um, because the title is quite intriguing. So, Hal Nidzievsky. <laughs> Nidzievsky. Hello, Greg. You're, you're improving every time you uh, say it. Well, good. <laughs> it's it's like uh, it's like cooking. You do it enough. Well, cooking and other things. You do it enough, you get it right eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so, listen. Um, Interesting book. Uh, I, I need your take on it. Uh, so why don't you give our viewers uh, a little sketch on what this book is about and uh, why this is so interesting to you. Take it over. Sure. Uh, so the book basically says we are obsessed with the future. We have this idea in our society now that uh, everything we do in all of our institutions uh, and capacities should be directed toward getting to the future first or owning the future, uh, as presidents and politicians will often say, that you have to own the future. Um, and the book charts this idea, the history of, of this idea, the history of the future uh, in human culture, and ultimately starts talking about how we are changing institutions like education, like government, uh, like community, in order to get to the future first and fulfill this this mounting obsession we have in our society. How's that sound, Greg? That, that sounds good, pretty uh, damn good, Hal. I, all I, right. I like that. You'd, uh, buy, you'd buy it? I, I would actually buy that, yes, yes. <laughs> but, okay, so... Uh, getting there first. Um, is this similar to what we went through in the 60s with Kennedy when Russia was 
um, you know, had their – was more advanced than us as far as the space race. Um, mm-hmm. same- or supposedly, at least, as it turned out, not so much. But, uh, That's true. Yes, it, it, you know, the, the, the post-war period of the 50s and 60s was the period where all of these ideas really started to get planted in society. So we did have the idea that there was this thing, the future – uh, we were progressing toward it, uh, and that it was important for us to invest resources in this thing, the future, primarily via uh, advancing our technology. Now, where it's different is that at that time, this this thing, the future that we had to get to, was seen as a, a human project. It was seen as something that a whole country or even a whole uh, world was pursuing, um, and we have the sort of great, you know, vision of, of of stepping on the moon. And and even though it was the Americans who did it, it was also uh, a human achievement, um, and it was something that we did collectively together, generally through and under the auspices of our government and our giant uh, corporations who were all sort of involved in this important mission. Now today. We see the future as something to be attained individually. So our our model of, of getting to the future is, you know, a Mark Zuckerberg or a Steve Jobs. Uh, and when we think about these things, uh, the pressure is on us individually. What are you going to do to invent the future? Uh, you know, in 2006, Time Magazine's Person of the Year was you. Uh but that was just sort of a blip in time. And by, <laughs> mm-hmm. by 2010, the person of the year was Mark Zuckerberg, and we had fully entered the idea of, of it's up to the individual to come up with a great idea, disrupt the present, uh, and achieve, uh, achieve future, get to the future. Mm-hmm. So... Are we going to end up on Mars? Are we going to end up on the moon? Uh, anybody with half a brain can see that eventually we're going to run out of space, we're going to run out of food, we're going to run out of this, run out of that. So how how urgent is this? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's not urgent at all because it's a total distraction from solving our real problems. Yeah, thank which, you. <laughs> <laughs> which are right here on Earth. Uh, you know, we may run out of things um, – but the solution is not going to be shipping us all to Mars. Uh, uh, you know, th- this is the this is the part of the book that I think is is kind of most important. Is that we have this this really strange idea that even though things are demonstrably worse, uh, our environment is worse, our economy is worse, our connection to community is worse. Um, all those things are worse, but in a 2014 national survey by the Pew Research uh, Center and Smithsonian Magazine, three in five Americans, 60% said, and I'm quoting, that technological advancements will lead to a future in which people's lives are mostly better. Hmm. Now, if we look at colonizing other planets in that same survey, one in three, 33% of Americans expect that, yes, in 50 years, we will have colonized planets other than Earth. Uh, so what does this tell you? It tells you that the rhetoric of technology and uh, the idea that, that we use technology to ascend to a better future 
has completely infused our worldview so that even though we can sort of see, okay, uh, the ecological systems upon which humanity depend are in a devastating state, um, and a lot of technology is actually being employed in, in what I consider anti-human ways of, of, of extreme monitoring and putting uh, intense pressure on, on uh, systems which, which lead to massive income inequality. Uh, even though all these things are happening, we still refuse to say that technology is not going to lead us to this better promised land. <laughs> <laughs> well, now... Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to say, getting back to trees on Mars, um, and and this idea, this enthusiastic idea that we're going to we're going to sort of load up a bunch of people, send them to Mars, and and uh, they're going to establish a colony, and then eventually we'll just sort of you know shift on over there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a, there there are several technological uh, millionaire billionaire types who really believe this and are doing this, including Elon Musk, who of course we know is famous for the um, the Tesla Motor Company, uh, the all-electric cars, um, and the founding of PayPal, where he made his billions. Uh, and this this guy, Baz Landorp, who is a Dutch uh, millionaire, who has actually founded this uh, this organization, Mars One, taken applicants, uh, one of whom I interview in the book, uh, and uh, and has chosen the you know the first round of people who will go to Mars uh, should he ever make enough reach. Uh, reach the technological plateau to uh, to figure this all out. Um, so this is not a metaphor. This is actually happening. Uh, you know, Trees on Mars is, is, is a real goal in our society, and in my mind it is uh, an example of, of, of a huge uh, mistake that we're making in our approach to technology. Yeah, yeah I think I, I look at technology. I'm 61. I've, you know, I... I've been through all the technological advances since the TV, blah, blah, blah. Boy, am I old. And, um, <laughs> since the TV. Since even the, I had TV growing up. TV. <laughs> I didn't have a VCR, but at least I had TV. <clears throat> so my point is that I, I, think, I think the world, you know, let's just say the world, I, I think we've lost sight uh, personally on, on where we're going. Um, a lot of the problems today are technologically driven. I think. I think we're moving. Mm-hmm. We're, we're moving way too fast. We're, we're disconnecting, disassociating. Um, yes, I, I love technology. I love the smartphones. I love the fact that I got a computer in my pocket. You know, I can accomplish more. I can solve problems uh, expeditiously, uh, more expeditiously. Um, but. Uh, that that human connection, which is what I'm very afraid of, that that inner uh, that interface between man and man, um, to me scares me because I think we're losing that. And yeah, we can build, you know, we can dream for the stars and build what we want to, but but you know, we're we're not making our bed. I, I mean, I, you know, it's fascinating when you talk about the human, because the human is something that I sort of keep coming back to in the book and say, okay, we've, we've, we've invented this particular technology. How are we using it? Uh, and we always seem to come around to using it in a way that diminishes the human uh, and, and increases sort of the uh, optimization. Uh, so it's great for kind of 
shifting data points around and moving product. Uh, but it's very bad for human beings and and what they need and how they think. Uh, you know, the, the the biggest misconception that I found writing the book is that is that most of us believe that human beings are some kind of uh, change agents uh, that that we have since being put on this earth always sought new technologies, constant upgrade, and have always welcomed disruption. You know, that's what they call it in, in Silicon Valley now, if you have a really good uh, idea. Uh, it's not an innovation anymore. It's a disruption, <laughs> you know? um, which tells you a lot about about the concern for the continuity of human life and social uh, social. Uh, Social certainty, which is a phrase that I I borrow from the Spanish philosopher Daniel Inarrety, who wrote that uh, most of human life has been about social certainty. So if you look at the the kind of changes that we made uh, throughout the 1.2 or so million years we have wandered the earth as humanoids, uh, almost all of our technological changes have been uh, attempts to maintain social certainty, and keep doing and living the way that we have always done. Uh, and I think that, that what we're doing now is no different in the sense that uh, we're trying to desperately invent technologies that will allow us to continue to consume at a, at a really a, what you might call an unsustainable rate, um, to continue to live in a way that is is not a, a, a very successful long term strategy, uh, and you know, so we're saying, okay, you know, uh, fossil fuels problem. Let's go electric car. Uh, the electric car is not going to is not going to uh, avert the the collision course that we are on with with severe climate change. Um, you know, it's just a it's just a myth. It's just another distraction, and it, and it's another example of what I'm talking about. Um, so, social certainty is what we want, uh, and the way that we try to get it is by to preserve what we know of our lifestyle for as long as possible, and only change when we no longer can can maintain what we have, uh, and that's that's what's really happening out there, and it is. You know, a, a very different picture from what you will hear if you go to some big, exciting tech conference where uh, where college kids are pitching uh, apps that will tell you how to that will order a drink at the bar before you get there. Yeah, yeah, and that well, yeah, yeah. There's a there's an there's a, an entire generation coming into play that have has not experienced what. 50, 60, 70-year-old men and women have, okay? Um, we've been through change. Um, we know what we had, and for some of us, it's hard to see where we're going. Um, what is the, what's the sociological impact in your mind? Um, because I've got my own views, but the sociological impact of, of technology running everything in our lives because we're getting to that point we're getting mm. to that point um there's a lot you know we don't we're not using our brains like we used to use our brains <laughs> a lot of people don't know how to add and subtract anymore you know i mean we're just we're losing some things here in in the in the shuffle and uh 
So what, what what's your take on on technology actually killing our society down the road? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, let's not mince words here. <laughs> yeah, right. um, the impact of technology is, of course, immense. Uh, in a in a not very long period of time, we have moved uh, into ever smaller bubbles of of kind of on-demand information. So each one of us is, is on the subway or walking down the street or in their car uh, or at home living in their, in their on-demand virtual bubble where they're trying to get the entertainment they want, the ideas they want, uh, the, the products they want, uh, having the conversations that they want. Uh, and this is, this is ultimately anti-human. It turns us into uh, consumers not human beings. Human beings have to have to deal with uh, community and varying points of view. Uh, the the virtualized consumer doesn't, um, and 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 the whole system, which is which is essentially automated, massive data gathering and data uh, data sifting, so it knows what I want before I even know what I want, um, does create. Uh, a, a kind of diminishment of creativity and, and intellectual pursuit. Um, there is, I cite a study in, in the book, I don't have it right in front of me, so I can't tell you the, the names of the uh, professors, but they actually show that up to around 2000, the, the amount of sort of cognitive intelligence and education required to do, uh, to, to be employed at the highest levels uh, was was constantly ascending, but around 2000, around the the, the time when we implemented all this data um, collecting and sifting capability into uh, into the systems by which we we govern most of our our, our lives, uh, around this time, we started to see a decline in the intellectual uh, capital required to do jobs uh, in America. Um, so, like you said, we are now requiring uh, less intelligence to do work, uh, more automation, more kind of uh, this is this is just the way it is because the system says this is the way it is. You know, does not compute. Sorry, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't exist. You don't compute, um, and uh, it, you know, it's tremendously problematic on on many levels. Is there hope for us, Sal? <laughs> <laughs> I laugh. Um, I'm I'm packing my bags. <laughs> this is a hard question. Uh, it's a it's a question that I really struggled with. Like I've never I've never really struggled and felt so emotional writing a book uh, as I did writing this Trees on Mars book because when I got to the end. Uh, typically, in a, in a book of nonfiction identifying a, a, a social problem, you have a list of, of ways that you can uh, that people can come together and solve this problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like call your congressperson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, but but or, there elect, isn't that. or elect Donald Trump for as president. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you need a different government. You yeah, need right. uh, you need people on the streets. Um, but you know, the problem is not external. The problem is internal. The problem is us. Uh, we, 
eagerly invite these technologies into our lives because we are looking for a way to replace the social certainty that we once had right. when we lived uh, for you know all that million or so years as tribal units uh, in which we didn't really think about or expect change. Um, and so to expect that we will now suddenly kind of see the error of our ways, uh, I think it's too much to, to ask of humanity. <laughs> uh, and I think, I think that, that the idea of hope needs to be reconsidered and, and ultimately rejected. I think it's a, it's a weak idea. Uh, it keeps us from seeing things as they really are. You know, you, we have had generations and generations of, of hope around the environment, uh, which has, has led us to uh, what is, you know, just a complete catastrophic mess. Um, so is there hope? There's, there, there isn't hope in the sense that, that if, if we just keep pursuing good intentions, we're going to get there, because uh, we're, we're not going to get there. Uh, but I think there is hope in the uh, in the clear uh, clear eyed view of what lies ahead of us. Uh, there are things that we can do. We can slow down climate change. We can build our communities. Uh, we can turn off our our devices and even if we only turn them off to have supper uh, <laughs> with our family, that is still uh, a concrete thing that we can do. So there's hope, uh, just not the kind of, of, of long-term humans will ascend, uh, everything's going to be all right type hope that, uh, that most books are, are uh, you know, the, 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 the books are expected to end with, when, and I kind of rejected that idea. Yeah, I, I have a hard time with idealists that, that sit around, you know, hoping that something will change, hoping, you know. Um, you're you're uh, you're a regular guy. I'm a regular guy. I, I think I'm, you know, fairly intelligent. You sound intelligent. We Thanks, we, Greg. we can, <laughs> we can how we can see this. You and I can see this. I've got some friends who can see this. Okay, I've talked to mm-hmm. I talk to people all the time. They're, we can see this now. If if Greg Grasso can see it, why the hell can't? The people running this country, mm-hmm. running these corporations, why can't they see it? What, you know, it's, why? It's, it's a, you know, it's such a, a <laughs> fascinating question uh, of, of, you know, it, first of all, people have to want to see something. Uh, yeah. And people, people yeah. want to see what they want to see. Yeah. So, you know, when Mark Zuckerberg looks out the window, yeah. uh, he sees... Uh, he sees his his army of uh, of balloons that are going to fly over rural India and give and give some of the poorest people in the world high speed internet, uh, and and he sees meaningful change in that, um, and that inspires other people to see meaningful change in that, even though it is nonsense. Uh, you know, uh, what, these, what these people need is, is, is systemic changes to their social system, uh, including access to, to electricity, clean water, stable food supplies. Uh, they don't need the Internet. <laughs> um, well, so, it, you know, we see what we want to see, uh, and even if we, we see kind of... Um, 
you know, even even in the unlikely event that we see the point of it, of someone else, uh, you know, you know, it's just so, it's just so hard to move away from human nature. Human nature being, uh, well, I've got a nice car, I've got a nice house, mm-hmm. I've got food on the table. Uh, I must be doing something right. And anyone who's going to come around and and ask me to change that, uh, you know, that that's not going to happen for me. Climate hate- change doesn't exist. I hear this crap all the time and what I say is okay, what are you going to do when the grid goes down? How are you going to how are you going to how are you going to wash your clothes? How are you going to feed your family? How are you going to get to work if there's work? How are you going to do things? I mean, people don't realize that eventually something's going to happen. Something big's going to happen and there's going to be millions and millions and millions of people sitting around going, "Oh crap." I wish I had done that, or I wish I had learned how to do that. That's what scares me. This is the survivalist uh, coming out of of you there, Greg. Totally, Uh. totally. (laughs) Well, think about it. Think about it. Everything is based on electricity, based on petroleum, you know, blah, blah, blah. Hell, we got factories that are still running on oil, you know, and here it is. Coil. Right. Don't, don't forget the beautiful, the beautiful <laughs> amalgam of, of uh, coal and oil. <laughs> yes, yes. And let's burn it all, and let's uh, cloud the atmosphere, and let's you know create more problems. I don't know. It, it it drives me freaking nuts. You know, in the book, I spend time with with preppers uh, and yeah. survivalists, uh, and they're a fascinating group because they they reject the mainstream idea that we are ascending to some sort of. Uh, uh, some sort of technological nirvana, uh, and they say they 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 are often people who are marginalized economically. They don't have uh, the same levels of education as a lot of people in Silicon Valley do, and they turn to this idea that the world is going to end sooner rather than later as their passion project. You know, they're saying, we're, we're not the ones who are going to be left behind uh, when everyone turns into this, you know, living forever, virtualized, utopian, uh, giant hive mind. Uh, we won't be left behind. Uh, you guys will be left behind when the collapse comes. Um, and I think that that is, a, it, it, it's really two sides of the same coin because they're both fantasies. Right. You know, one fantasy is that we're going to sort of merge with our computers and live forever yeah. in virtual perfection. Right. The other fantasy is that we are going to have a social uh, and cultural collapse uh, and only these these people who had prepared for it will be, will be ready. And uh, either way, we have a sort of return to Eden uh, and unfortunately, I don't think we're we're returning to Eden either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And, and don't misunderstand my comment a couple minutes ago, um, uh, because I'm not I'm not a survivalist, but I grew up during the '50s and '60s and '70s. I'm a veteran. You know, my dad was in construction. I learned a lot of stuff. I learned a lot of th- how to do with my hands, how to how to think about it, how to solve a problem, you know. Um, so I was alluding to, you know, basic survival stuff. Uh, for sure, yeah. You know, because no, we've, sure. we've I mean, had it, power outages, you know, look what 
that's why the boomers are here. <laughs> um, we've we've had uh, dark times in society. We've always recovered, and I have complete faith in mankind um, that we'll figure it out someday. Um, it's just very frustrating. The older I get, it's it's just more frustrating to see mm. that why we haven't figured this stuff out. Yeah, I mean, I don't have faith that we'll figure it out. Oh, you don't! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I feel like, you know... Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you don't have faith that we're figuring out, what are you doing to prepare yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that the, the, the thing that we should be doing is is trying to understand how we got to this point and yeah. trying to tell the story yes. of... Uh, trying to tell the story of who we are and 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 how we got to be, so that whatever happens, because uh, we really don't know what's going to happen, uh, we we at least have some kind of narrative that makes that that may make sense for for whatever comes next. Um, and the narrative that we're going to you know colonize Mars, put a bunch of forests on there, and start shipping people over, uh, you know that that's not the narrative that I want to leave for. The next generations, whatever the, the planet looks like. No, no, me neither. Um, all right, listen. Um, great talk about the book, but I want to talk about you. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you, man? I mean, who are you? Why do you do what you do? You know what? What? Why'd you write this book anyway, man? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a writer. I grew up in uh, in the suburbs of Washington D.C. Uh, I didn't think of myself as a writer or anything from an early age. Uh, but I started getting into writing short stories, and uh, I started to publish a magazine called Broken Pencil, which I still publish today. Mm. Uh, your listeners can check it out, brokenpencil.com. And uh, through the magazine, I just became more and more interested in how we tell stories, what what the relationship is between community and technology and society and individuality. Uh, so I started to write essays about that kind of stuff, and the essays gradually turned into books. Um, and so uh, Trees on Mars is actually kind of the fourth book in in what I think of as, as, a, as a, a, a connected series, and it's, the, it's probably the last of the four. Uh, all of which examining different aspects of technology and society. So there was, um, hello, I'm special, <laughs> how individuality became the new conformity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, in which I charted, you know, the idea that everyone needs to, to assert their specialness uh, and what happens in a world where everyone is special. Uh, and then I wrote The Peep Diaries, which... Um, Television, right? Uh, the Peep Diaries was uh uh had the subtitle of how we're learning to love watching ourselves and our neighbors <laughs> and that yeah. and that was a book about um our the the technologies that allow us to turn our everyday lives into entertainment for other people mm -hmm. uh <laughs> and why people would ever want to do that <laughs> and what happens when they do do that <laughs> and so that that book uh, got me in, in, in very close proximity with a lot of people using technology for a lot of strange reasons, uh, most of which they were unable to, to articulate. And I would say, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you putting so much of yourself out there and you don't know the consequences? And they would sort of say, it's the future. It's what everyone's going to be doing. Uh, 
And so I, I said, you know, this is this is the emotional kernel of my next book, the feeling that we absolutely can't resist uh, the future, uh, even though we don't know why. Yeah. Well, you got to embrace it. I mean, we're headed there. <laughs> we're headed there. <laughs> huh. Crazy, man. Uh, you working on anything else? Uh, I've got a, a novel that's going to come out in about a year. Really? Um, fiction? Fiction, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. putting the, the, the finishing touches on that. What's that um, about? Oh, really? <laughs> All right. Give me, give me one sentence. Uh, <laughs> it's about a group of people who find the remains of a body in a, in a suburban backyard, and they all have uh, different ideas of, of what these remains may represent. Nice. I like Sounds that. Sounds good. I, I, no, Did no, no, I like that. I, I, I watch a lot of shows with that kind of uh, theme. Uh, mm. Yeah, I'm, I wanted to be a, you know, a forensic scientist when I was younger, but anyway. Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of my absurd take on, uh, <laughs> on, on forensics and murder mystery. Yeah, no, that, that sounds actually cool. I mean, uh, I grew up in New England. I grew up in a 250-year-old home, one of the, one of the homes, and... You know, I loved, uh, I used to go bottle hunting with my mom. Uh, we'd go around old homes, and she taught me how to look for depressions in the earth and dig up bottles mm. and stuff like cool. that. And yeah, yeah, real cool. Basements, I love basements. I love basements. It's like, what's down there? I, the, I just, hidden, I, the hidden deratrice of yeah, our past Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. So, um, you married? You got kids? Uh, <laughs> I'm married. I got two kids. Cool. Uh cool. I've, uh, you know, sort of. Are they asked. are they younger? And still. Uh, yeah. Well, one's four and one's ten. Oh, yeah. okay. You've got yeah. eh, ten more. They're both girls, and uh, you know, it's funny because they teach they 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 do a lot of uh, environmental right. stuff now at school. You know, they're like they come home all enthusiastic about recycling, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I just sort of you know go with it, even though I feel really kind of despondent about. Mm-hmm about the idea that what we teach is recycling, not yes. not uh, what we should be teaching, which is kind of consuming less. Yeah. Don't don't drink it in the first place. Exactly. How about that? Exactly. Yeah, I, I, my kids are in their 30s, and uh, it, it I remember them coming when they were little uh, celebrating Earth Day. It's like, what the hell's Earth Day? <laughs> it's like, yeah. what yeah. I mean Earth Day? <laughs> What's that all about? Well, we had to invent an Earth Day because we were forgetting that we live on a, on a planet. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I tell you. Hey, this has been a kick in the butt. This is this is this has been fun. I don't know about you, but I'm having fun here. I'm. Uh, I think we're rocking it. Right, I want cool. to be a regular. Well, I want to come. I want to come on weekly. Get me on the to Hal get, and Greg show. Get me. Get, find a radio station in Canada and let's do it, man. Let's do, we have no radio stations in Canada. <laughs> you, we. Uh, you don't have radio stations in that's, Canada. That's, that's, we haven't gotten to that technological <laughs> level yet. <laughs> well, you better prepare yourself for the future, Hal. <laughs> they exist. Come on, we have a whole Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, there the CBC. Hey. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for having me on, Greg. It's uh, it's great to talk to you. Hal, this has been fun. Um, real quickly, uh, if uh, if there's any way you can get me a signed copy of your book, I'd love it. I'd like to put it on my shelf. and uh, that, that can be arranged. Okay, very good. And uh, I'll send a note to your uh, agent. I'll send a note to Gail. I, I know Gail. 
she and I have been working together for years. Oh, I thought I thought we were talking about you sending me twenty bucks and then I sending you a copy. Uh, you know what? I'll I'll write. Uh, I'll design a little uh, IOU twenty dollar thing, and I'll just I'll you know, make Greg, it look, I'll, I'll make it look real pretty and send it. I'm trying to make a living here, you know. Yeah. Well, come we'll to I, come, come to Idaho. Yeah, yeah. There's I will. Lo- hopefully, there's lots day. of work here. If anyone's listening out there. I oh, get no. great, uh, great talks. Good, <laughs> good, good material for the university crowd. <laughs> Bring me in. We'll have Greg do an on-stage interview. There It'll you rock. Go. I, yeah, hell yeah, man. I'd do it in a heartbeat, actually. Trees uh, and yes? uh, treesonmars.net is is the official place to find out more about the book. Thank you. Trees on Mars: Our Obsession with the Future and Hal Nidzinski. <laughs> I, I blew it. I blew it. <laughs> say well, your last name. You know, say the your world's name. ending. The talk is ending. How did There's there's smoke in the uh, studio. Anyway, folks, <laughs> trees on Mars, um, written by a pretty intellectual guy. I think um, I, I, I enjoy talking to smart people. Hal, you're a smart person. I like it. And uh, thanks to- very much, Greg. You're not so bad yourself. Oh, thanks a lot, buddy. <laughs> you take care. Take care. Bye. See you. Bye.